Rumble, Lone Grove AG, and follow it. If you don't have a, a Rumble page, you know, uh, if you need help with that, we can figure out how to help you with it. I know how to set it up. Get you a Rumble page and then go over and follow Lone Grove AG, and we're on Rumble now. And we're trying to get away from the other ones because of, of the wokeness. Anytime I preach on the truth, like, we get kicked off. So, and I'm not going to apologize for preaching the truth. So it's just the way it is. Uh, just a reminder, too, that we have, a, we have a guy coming up next week, and I'm excited about it, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And he, uh, he preaches on a lot of Assemblies of God churches. He's from India. And, you know, we're trying to push the missions, focus on missions, if you'll see all the tables out there. And there's a really good picture of Joey in, on that table out there. <laughs> I'm giving him a hard time <laughs> playing basketball. So, sorry, Joe, I can give you a hard time. But anyways, we're, really, we're trying to push the missions. And the reason why is because missions is important. Reaching the lost, reaching the world for Christ. And that's what the Assemblies of God is one of the reasons why we're founded. All right, would you please stand as we get ready to worship the Lord tonight and honor Him and get into the Word. Father, we thank you for this evening. We honor you, we praise you, we lift you up. Lord, I can't wait for that day that we're going to get to praise you in heaven. But Lord, until that happens, we're going to worship you and praise you now. As you said, come before the throne of grace with confidence. And we do that right now. We're in the throne room of God, giving him worship. In Jesus' name, amen. for your glory and let my heart 
will see of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you is running after, it's running after me. Sing that again. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Is running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. Of the goodness of God, I will sing of the goodness of God. Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. so faithful you are so good I want to read a scripture tonight and this is for somebody tonight and I kind of mentioned it earlier but I really feel like this is for somebody it's uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 just stay in a moment of worship as I read this it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, as we come before your throne in worship, that we would come before your throne of grace in our time of need, that we would cast our cares upon you for you care for us. We do that tonight in our worship.
Thank you, Father. We honor you tonight. Can we, can we sing the song, I Surrender All? I'm going to have Julie sing, I Surrender All. And if that mentions, if that's one of you tonight, whether whatever it may be, and you need to bring it before God, this night, I'm going to open up the altars. I want to just pray for you before we get into the message tonight. So if that... If that explains you, if that's who you are, describes you, and you need to bring something before God, it's between you and Him. And I would like to pray for you tonight. So I'm going to open up the altars. If that's you, as she sings, I surrender all. Would you just make your way up to the front as we pray for you, if that's you tonight? Let's listen to the Holy Spirit on this. Does that describe anybody tonight? Come on down, if that's you. To him I truly give I will ever love And trust him in His presence freely live. I
to your word tonight give us insight give us revelation as your as your uh, vessel speak through me what you want to say as we dive into this book called revelation and we ask all this in the mighty name of jesus and everybody said amen you may be seated i want to share something if it's okay will i embarrass her little aniston just gave her heart to jesus so can we give her a clap offering yeah Oh, that's awesome. That's The Bible says all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And he's written her name in the Lamb's Book of Life and forgiven her sin. That's the greatest thing. And the, the statistics, let me share something real quick before we get into our message. The statistics of people getting saved later is harder. If you reach them young, and they, the, the, the younger they are in reaching up for Christ, the longer they'll serve the Lord. And that, that they've come out with statistics. And, and the older you get, the harder it is for you to reach people for Jesus. So praise the Lord. Get them young, right? All right. You guys ready for the book of Revelation? Before we get into this book, we're going to read chapter 1 tonight. We're going to go through chapter 1. Uh, before we get into it, I want to remind you what I did this morning. You do not have to be afraid of this book if you're a believer. I've heard so many people afraid of the book of Revelation. It's not something to be afraid of. This is a blessing to read this book. And... Uh, some people think it's doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. It's just God's telling you the end story of what's going to happen to the world that has rejected Christ. And so we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. And then we're going to get into it. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear this part, verse 3. Keep this in your mind. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from uh, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, 
and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theratyra, Sardis, and Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a gold sash around his chest. He had uh, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. So I've just titled the message tonight, A Revelation of Jesus Christ, because that's what this is. Um, we're doing a series called The Time of Jacob's Trouble, and I want to focus on that for a second. Uh, it's found in, in Jeremiah chapter 30. And so Revelation, the book of Revelation, the first three chapters focuses on the church. But when you get to chapter 4, the church is, I believe, raptured up. And we'll get into that as we get farther along. And from chapter 4 to 19, you don't see the church at all mentioned until it's in heaven with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so really the focus goes from the Gentiles to the Jews. That's why it's called Jacob. Now Jacob, another name for Jacob, he was, his name was changed from Jacob to what? Israel, Right? And so its focus is on the Jews. God wants to bring in the Jews. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 11. If you get a chance to study it, Romans chapter 11, he talks about, remember on a, a couple Sundays ago, I talked about how we're the wild shoot that's been grafted in, and uh, Gentiles have been, but God has not forgotten about the Jews. That's why you need to pray for the Jewish people. You need to pray for Israel. And I always focus on because if you want to be blessed, pray for them, right? You bless them, you'll be blessed. You curse them, you'll be cursed. It's interesting because John had mentioned something to me, and he's, he's doing the, 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 the safety desk out there. And I've watched it. There was a guy from, in our, I think it was in Turkey, and he was cursing Israel. This was just a few weeks ago. And in the middle of his cursing, he fell over dead. Struck down right then, boom. You don't mess with God's people. You can go watch it. It's on YouTube. It really happened. It was on the news. He was in the middle of cursing Israel, calling down curses on him, and boom, he falls over dead, had a heart attack, and died. Don't mess with God's people. Bless them if you want to be blessed. All right? All right, so let's get into this a little bit. Well, i got to turn this on if it's going to work. 
Introduction, the author of this is the Apostle John. He wrote the book of John. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He was one of the apostles to Jesus. He was the one that uh, in the scripture it says uh, of whom Jesus loved. In fact, go with me real quick to uh, hold your spot here. Go with me to John 21 so that you know who this is. This is one of the 12 apostles. John chapter 21. And this is when Jesus reinstates Peter. I find it interesting that John's the one that wrote this book and then he says this about himself. So look with me in verses 20 and 21 real quick. Peter, Jesus is reinstating Peter by saying, do you love me? And he says it three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Jesus is reinstating him and then Jesus tells John or uh, Peter, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die and what's going to happen with him. And then he, he does this. He look at verse 20, he says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Boy, that's a sermon in itself, focused on other people. God, what about this guy? That's not fair. I've got to go die. And what about John? Well, you don't know this. It's not in my notes, but John was boiled in oil, and he survived. Uh, and not only did he survive, but we're going to look here in a second. He was, uh, he was exiled to an island called Patmos. It's actually part of Turkey, but it's or not Turkey. It's part of Greece, but it's near Turkey. It's like right off the coast of, of Turkey. Uh, the word revelation as we're looking in this book, it means apocalypto, which means revealing. We always hear of all the apocalypse, right? Anybody ever watch a movie? This is scary. No, all it means is revealing. It's Jesus revealing to us what he's going to do in the last days. And again, I believe, as we've studied Ezekiel 38, and we're going to get into 39 next Sunday morning, that we're getting close. We look at all the signs. We're getting close to this time. I can hear the hoofbeats of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right, of the revealing happening. How many of you guys can hear those hoofs coming? You can see the signs. We're getting close. So it's really important that we read and study the book of Revelation. Okay, here's Patman. Uh, you guys can see it a little bit better. It's kind of fuzzy, but it's this island right off the coast of Turkey. And uh, could you imagine being uh, isolated on that uh, island out in the middle of nowhere? So in some ways, the other apostles who were martyred had it better than John did because John was out there on this island by himself. He was exiled there for the gospel. Here's a, a modern-day picture of this island. Um, there's not a lot out there. And then here's another picture. You can see that little dot there versus, and you can see Turkey there. It's red. The red, the red ones are as, as part of the Greek islands, and then the other part is Turkey. And so that's where John was... Uh, uh, he was exiled to and he was exiled there for his faith thankfully we have not been exiled yet right yeah just on Facebook thank you Robert yeah we've been exiled off of Facebook <laughs> that's why I go to rumble <laughs> the, the purpose of the book number one is to bring correction to the seven churches number two to bring encouragement to the seven churches who are facing persecution we haven't faced persecution yet in the United States. I think it's coming, and we need to be prepared for it, but we haven't faced it like some of the other churches. Right now, churches are being burned in Nigeria. Uh, families are being put to death for the gospel. You go over to India, and it's really bad over there. 
Uh, number three, to provide Christians for many generations the spiritual battle between God and Satan and how it will culminate in the final battle. And this battle will be the last seven years before Christ returns and sets up his earthly kingdom. I want to read a little commentary here. Since so much controversy has risen over the interpretation of the book of Revelation, it is helpful to know the four basic approaches people have used through the centuries to understand Revelation. Number one, the preterist view. How many of you guys know what the preterist view is? They believed that all this happened in AD 70. The problem with that is, is John didn't write this till AD 90. Do you understand what happened in 87, right? Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, but John didn't write this until 20 years later, so there's no way that could have happened. And it speaks of future things. So this approach believes that Revelation dealt, not only, dealt only with the church in John's day. In the preterist approach, Revelation doesn't predict anything. John simply described events of his current day, but he put them in symbolic codes so that outside the Christian family couldn't understand his criticism of the Roman government. In the preterist view, the book of Revelation was for them. And again, the problem with that is John didn't write this book until 20 years later. So I don't know how they stand on that. And let me tell you something. There's things happening now you're going, wait a minute here, right? That's happening in our lifetime that the Apostle Paul talked about. Lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, disobedient to parents, violence, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, right? Those are all happening in our time. The next view, oh, went too fast. This is historist view. Uh, this approach believes that Revelation is a sweeping, disordered panorama of all church history. In this view or this approach, Revelation predicts the future, but the future of the church age, not the future of end-time events. And, and in this view, Revelation is full of symbols that describe now. Next view, for example, many of the reformers called the Pope the beast of Revelation in chapter 13. But they didn't necessarily want to believe that the end was very near. So they believed that Revelation spoke of their time without necessarily speaking to the end times. Does that make all sense tonight? Okay. How about the poetic view? This approach believes that Revelation is a book full of pictures and symbols intended to encourage and comfort persecuted Christians in John's day. And the poetic or allegorical view, the book of Revelation isn't literal or, or historic. Revelation is a book of personal meaning. How many of us would disagree with that? This book right here is God's revelation. It's literal. The futurist view. This approach believes that beginning with chapter 4, Revelation deals with the end times, the period directly preceding Jesus' return. In the futurist view, Revelation is a book that mainly describes the end times, and that would be us, right? Okay. I said all that so that you have different ideas. Another thing is there's people called the amillennialists. Now, I don't have this up in my notes, but they believe that we're living in the millennial reign right now. Okay, so the millennial reign is supposed to be this beautiful time when Jesus reigns and everything's going to be wonderful. Do you believe that we're living in the millennial reign right now? No. <laughs> I just heard tonight that somebody said another, uh, I think it was Gary told me that there was another shooting in Colorado Springs. That doesn't sound like the millennial reign to me. Finally, which approach is correct? Again, each one is true in some regard, but the book of Revelation did speak of John's day. It speaks to the church history, and it does have meaning for our personal life. So while elements of the first three approaches have their place, we can't deny the place of the futurist view. We can know the book of Revelation speaks with clarity about the end times because of two central principles drawn from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
So first, we believe that the book of Revelation must mean something. This is a book that Jesus gave to show his servants something. It isn't a book of meaningless nonsense. It has a promise of blessing, not a promise of confusion. Secondly, remember, this is not my words. This is a commentary I'm reading, so I'm not... Uh, secondly, we believe that Revelation definitely claims to contain predictive prophecy. John made it clear things which must shortly take place. The time is near. John wrote about events that were still future to him. So that brings us to the greeting. But before we get into that, I want to remind you guys, as we read the book of Revelation, as we go through it, it is for future events. And we, again, I want to reiterate this. We see things happening in our lifetime that we need to read this book. And we need to warn those people that don't know Christ because you do not want to go through the tribulation period. We're going to find out as we go through this how many people are killed just in the first seal judgments. We have, what, about close to 8.5 billion people on earth? Think about this. 2 billion people will probably be killed in the first part of the tribulation period you don't want to be here for it so if if you don't know Jesus now's the time to get ready <laughs> all right so we're gonna look at the greeting let's go to the greeting here Christ reveals to John and his servants what will soon take place let's look at it verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John verse 2 who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, how many of us know that soon with God is not soon with us? I talked about that this morning. We're still waiting on that soon part, right? We're still in the soon part. So Jesus' soon is not our soon. In fact, this is not in my notes, but go with me real quick into 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles. Everybody have their Bible with them tonight? As we go through this, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. In chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verses 1 through 7, he talks about scoffers are going to come in the last days. One of the things you know that you're living in the last days, you're going to get scoffers. And they're going to say this. Uh, they will say, where is this coming, he promised? For ever since our fathers died, verse 4, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. And look at verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago God's word, uh, God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. We call that Noah's flood, right? The flood that happened on the earth. God destroyed them because every inclination of their heart and their mind was wicked. Are we getting there? Are we close? Jesus said it will be like in the days of Noah and the days of what? Lot. I just read what happened in the days of Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Homosexuality. Did you know that Greece just passed? And this is Greek Orthodox. They just passed, I just read it this morning, 176 votes to 46, two were nay, that they are going to start blessing same-sex marriages, and they can adopt children. So this is happening worldwide. We're living in the days a lot. And so he tells us here, going on, look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Okay, so how long is a day to God? Like a thousand years, right? So how long has it been since Jesus rose from the grave and, and ascended to heaven? To God, that's only been two days. What happened on the third day? 
Jesus rose from the grave. Boy, we're awfully close to that third day, and according to the Jewish calendar, we're close to 6,000 years. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. So if we're getting, we're at the end of that 6,000 years, Jesus is going to rest. It's called the millennial reign of Christ, and we're going to look at that later on. So, all right, let's go, let's go on here. Now, when, when, when uh, this revelation to John, this speaks not only of the immediate future in John's time, but of things later in the future. Soon, again, God's timing is not our soon. I already mentioned that. I want to read uh, Wolverd, and he's a really well-known uh, uh, professor. I think he was at Dallas Theological Seminary. He writes this. Shortly is the ancient Greek phrase, take, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating a, 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 a rapid of execution after the beginning takes place. The idea is not that the event may occur soon, but that when it does, it will be sudden. Now, it's that word is where we get the word tachometer. How many have a tachometer in your car? And when you rev up your engine, what's that tachometer do? The closer we get, the more it's going to rev up and the things are going to get stronger and, and you're going to see more things. Well, that's happening. That's happening in our lifetime. That tachometer's raising up. Anybody have a tachometer in your car? You know, you're, you, you gun the gas. Anybody ever leave your car in neutral on accident? You're trying to back out a Walmart parking lot and you embarrass yourself because you don't put it in the drive or in the reverse, right? And you go, woo, and people look at you. That, and, you're, and that tachometer goes up. And the closer it gets, it gets to that red line. Guys, we're getting close to that red line. And what happens when you press on that engine for too long when it gets to that red line? You can blow your engine. Guys, the earth is getting ready to blow its engine. Jesus is coming back. So, like a tachometer, things are revving up. Things are intensifying as they get closer to the end. There's a picture of a tachometer. So, if you don't know what a tachometer is, there it is. Look in your car. See the little red line to the right? That's where we get that word from. And that's the word used here, that it, things are going to rev up and get closer. The closer we get to it, things are going to intensify. How many of us would agree that it's starting to intensify? Now, let's go on to the next verse. Look with me in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads these words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And take heart what is written in it, because the time is near. This is the first of the seven beatitudes or blessings in this book. So as we read in there, you're going to have blessings. Really, there's blessings in the book of Revelation? Yes! There are blessings. The word blessed here comes from the Greek word, and I'm not going to try to say it. It's the Strong's definition. It means supremely blessed, by extension, fortunate, well-off, blessed or happy. So you could actually say, oh, happy is the one who reads these words. So you shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be sad. You should go, oh, I'm happy. Right? Anybody like a, a good movie that makes you happy? Guys, you read this, you're blessed. It'll make you happy. And you're like, what? That sounds like an oxymoron. No, it's not. It's not. It doesn't mean opposite. That means if you're born again and you're a believer and you see these things and you read this, you'll be happy. Right? We are blessed if we read this book. How many of you guys read this book? We've always been taught. I, I've heard some pastors go, I'm not even going to teach on it. It's too controversial. Well, then you're not going to be blessed. How many of you guys want to be blessed by God? Yeah. 
I'd rather take a chance at it and make some things wrong than not do it at all. We are blessed if we hear this book. Guess what? You're not only reading it tonight, but you're hearing it. So guess what? You're blessed. That means everybody should leave out of here happy tonight, right? <laughs> One of these days I'm going to do a, a sermon that I did uh, laugh, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's about laughter. So anyways, all right, I'll go on. The, the word here comes from the Greek word akau, or, or akau-o, I'm trying to do my best, which means to attend to, consider what is or has been said, to understand, perceive the sense of what is said. So it's literally saying, not just reading it and hearing it, but saying, God, give me understanding of it, right? So when he says that, to hear Jesus often would say that. He would say, listen and what? Hear. Understand what I'm saying. So that's what John is saying here. Uh, Jesus is saying to John, understand it. When you're reading this, God, give me understanding. Help me to understand it. Help me to perceive what is said. We are blessed if we take it to heart. Now the word here, take it to heart, literally means to attend to carefully. To take care of to guard metaphorically it means to keep one in the state in which he is to observe so what he's saying there is not only are we to read it not only are we to say god give me understanding of it but god help me guard this thing that i'm reading do you see that help me guard what i'm reading we ought, we need to do that with all of god's word god gives us something we guard that god gives you a word of knowledge i don't know how, how many times you've ever been praying and you needed something for your life, and God told you to go to a certain scripture, and you went to it, and boom, it jumped off the page. You guard that thing. You take it to heart. It's mine, right? That's what he's saying about the book of Revelation. Now, let's go to verse 4. This is a letter to the seven churches from Jesus. <clears throat> John, to the seven churches where? In the province of Asia. These are the seven churches. These are... Uh, uh, where Paul had ministered to and planted a lot of these churches. In fact, some of the churches are still there today. We had a missionary when I was in Upton. They were missionaries to Turkey, and they'd been to some of these churches. What's interesting is when we get into these seven churches, some of the churches that Jesus said, I would snuff out your light, aren't there. They're not there today. So where was this province of Asia? We call that Asia Minor. It's right here. This is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It was in Turkey. Turkey was known as Asian, Asia Minor. And so all seven churches were in what would be known as modern-day Turkey. And there they are, Pergamos, Smyrna, Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Although this was for the seven churches of the time, it is also for the church for to what? Today. When Jesus puts it in his word, it's for us individually and for churches. Each one of these churches represent ages, churches today and yesterday, and individuals. As we look at the different seven churches, I believe that we're living in the age of the Laodicean age, the last church age, the lukewarm church, right? And, it, and, and it's happening, a lukewarm church. What's a, how many of you guys like lukewarm coffee? Now, I can still drink cold coffee. It doesn't bother me, but some people just don't look. I hate lukewarm water on a hot day. Anybody like lukewarm hot water on a hot day? You drink it because you need it, but it sure doesn't taste good. Well, man, ice, right? How many of you guys like lemonade? I'm not going to say tea because I'm not a tea drinker. How many of you guys are tea drinkers in here? 
Yeah, some of you. I'm not a big tea drinker. But man, you give me a nice cold glass of lemonade. Now, if you give me lukewarm lemonade, oh, not only is it sour, but it doesn't taste good. I believe that's an age. So we're going to look at these churches. Each one represents an age. And you can go back through history and how they represent those ages. It also represents just churches today. There are churches that are lukewarm. There, there are churches that are Philadelphia church, which we're going to look at, where he says, you have, you have uh, uh, kept my word, you have not denied my name, and I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth. And that can be individuals. How many of you guys want to be a Philadelphian type of believer, right? That God raptures us out of here, and we're not going to be left behind. Now, the letter starts with a greeting. And this greeting is grace and peace from Christ and the seven spirits of God. Let's read it real quick. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now the word grace and peace was often used, the apostle Paul used it. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a greeting that, uh, uh, that Paul used a lot of times and Peter in the early church. And the word peace is where we get the word shalom. And the word shalom, right? Anybody here, a, a Jew can say shalom, right? Shalom, it means more than just peace. It means peace on everything. Peace to your wholeness, peace to your home, peace to your life. We often look at it as just peace. It means peace over everything. So when he says peace, and then he says grace, which is unmerited what? Favor, God's favor on you and God's peace for you whole. And that's what he says here. See, aren't you blessed already? That makes you happy. God's grace. How many of you guys deserve God's grace? None of us, right? But he gives it to you freely, unmerited favor. And then he gives you peace. That's a supernatural peace. And then he says, from him who is and who was and is to come. That speaks of Jesus, he's eternal eternal uh, 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 attribute, that he's eternal. He's always has been. He is God. John speaks of Jesus as being eternal and that he will re-what? Return. Notice it says, uh, who was or who is? Jesus is God. Who was? He's been God. He's always been God. And guess what? Who is to come? He's coming back. If you believe God's word, he's coming back. As I drive up to Tulsa tonight after we leave here to go see my mom and dad and pick up some puppets for the kids program, wouldn't that be great if we got raptured out of here? I wouldn't have to pay tolls. What are the seven spirits of God? The seven spirits of God is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Seven is representation of what? Perfection or it's finished. It, this is the Holy Spirit that it's speaking of. In fact, Kaufman's commentary says this about this. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. There are seven titles of the Holy Spirit in this passage from Isaiah. And from very early times, this reference in Revelation has been associated with it. It denotes the Holy Spirit in the plenitude of his grace and power. In fact, the scripture that he took it is right here. It's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Look at this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And guess what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So guess what? God can give you wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's all inside of us if you're born again tonight. Have you ever thought about that? But Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll give you wisdom. God, I don't know what this means in your Bible. He'll give you understanding. You have a situation you need not only wisdom and understanding for it, he'll give it to you. You got a business thing going on. You don't know how to handle it. God, give me wisdom and understanding. How about counsel? God, I need, anybody ever need counseling? All of us need counseling, right? You know, one of the words for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, the spirit of comfort and counsel. He's the wonderful counselor. God, I need a counselor today. You know, you go into his office, you lay down, and you, you know, you know and, he, and the Holy Spirit pulls out his book. How about might? You need strength? You need might to get through something? He gives it to you. How about knowledge? Do you know the Holy Spirit can give you knowledge about things? Not only words of knowledge, but knowledge of his word. And then finally, the fear of the Lord. We, this is important, right? Reverence, reverential fear for God. So John explains this revelation is from Jesus and that Jesus is the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let's read that real quick, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Is Jesus faithful? Yes, he is. He's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means he's the only one that died for sins. He was the only one that was born of the Holy Spirit. Adam was the was the was the, was brought death but Jesus brings life and not only is that he's the king of the earth he's 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 the ruler of the kings of the earth that means all these rulers even the people that we don't like right that are in leadership he's in charge of them if you've ever wondered God God what are you doing what why is all this happening God's still in charge he sits on his throne nothing takes God by surprise you and I are going, what? What is going on, right? How many of you guys have thought out about our country? What is going on? God's not up there going like this, oh no. What am I going to do? No, he's in charge. He's in charge of all the rulers in the world. It says that he puts people in charge and he pulls them down. He puts kings in places and he removes them. He's in charge. Now John describes what Jesus has done for the church and how he feels about his church. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. We already read verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us the, to be kingdom and priests to serve his God and, and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now this is how Jesus feels about us. I want you to see this for a minute. Number one, Jesus loves his church. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. Agape love. Godlike love. The word love is agape in the Greek, which means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. Anybody, are you fond of your spouse? You better be, right? I'm fond of my spouse. I love my wife. Listen, I love my wife, but Jesus loves us more than I love my wife. You have animals. Anybody love your animal? Oh, it breaks your heart, right, when something happens to them? Jesus loves you more than you love your animal. He loves you more than you love your kids. 
That's what it means, agape love, God-like love. And we won't truly, I think, fully understand it until we get to heaven. Jesus has freed us from our sins through his blood. Number two, not only does he love us, but he's freed us. How many of you are free tonight? Yeah. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That little girl tonight, hallelujah, her name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mine was, you heard this morning, April 19, 1984. I was seven years old. God wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He freed me through his blood. Look at Romans 3, 22 and 25. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of what? His blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Why all this stuff? Why, why does Jesus say all this before he gets it? Because we need encouragement before we begin to read the book of Revelation, right? We need to know where we stand. Now Jesus has made us both a kingdom and priests. This is more than Adam was, ever was. Even in the innocence of Eden, we never read of Adam among the king and priests of God. This is worth praising Jesus about. We are kings, so we are God's royalty. This is privilege, status, and authority. We are priests, so we are God's special servants. We represent God to man and man to God. We offer sacrifice to them. We offer, and we have privilege, access to God's presence. Kings and priests in the Old Testament, it was forbidden to combine the offices of king and priest. King Uzziah of Judah is an example of a man who tried to combine the two offices and paid the penalty for it. Under the new covenant, we can be like Jesus in the sense that he is both king and high priest. Now, we're not king and high priest, but we're kings and priests. We serve with him. We're co-heirs with Christ. We can be like Jesus in the sense of both king and high priest. So Jesus is coming back, the whole world will see him. Let's look at verse 7. we got a few more verses here. And we may not get through all of this tonight. But listen, this is just the beginning of Revelation. Are you guys excited about this? Okay. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. Now the word amen means so let it be. So let it be. That's what, the, when you say amen, you're saying, so let it be. So be careful how you say amen. Right? I think I've used it loosely before. Man, that was a great meal. Amen. So let it be. <laughs> I'm trying to be funny here, but I guess it ain't working. Jesus is going to come back. What he's speaking of there is at the end of the tribulation period, when we get through the book of Revelation at the end, he's going to come back. And every eye is going to see him. He's going to come back on the clouds. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him are going to see him. He's speaking of those Jews that are going to get saved. They're going to see the one on whom they have pierced and they're going to, they're going to weep. They're going to say, oh, he was our real Messiah. See, the Antichrist is the false Messiah. And they're going to follow him at first. But when Jesus comes on the scene, they're going to go, now I get it. Now I see Jesus is the Messiah. 
Look at Matthew 24, verses 26 through 27. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. People are going to see it. Guess what, guys? You and I are going to come back with him. We're going to be riding on horses. We're going to come back with Jesus. Man, that's going to be a great... Not only do we get to get raptured, but at the end of the tribulation, we get to ride horses with him. We're going to be on there going, woo! Right? We're going to be right behind him. That's going to be an exciting day. The, the second most exciting day. The first is rapture. I'm ready to go, right? But the second one is going to come back with them. We're going to be coming back with Jesus to this earth. We're going to go before the seven-year tribulation period, and we're going to come back at the end. And every eye is going to see it. Oh, that's going to be an exciting day. Now, Jesus proclaims who he is, that he is the great I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega and the Almighty. Let's look in here, and then we're going to close. And we're going to have to pick up next week. Look what Jesus says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He, he references it again. He talks about him being the beginning. Again, John says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's speaking of who Jesus is, that he is God. He's the beginning, and he's the end. And he's coming back. He is who he says he is. In fact, let's, let's end with one scripture tonight. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to read this because this speaks of who Jesus is. And we're going to look farther into this when it talks about how John sees him. But I want, you to, I want you to see this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This speaks of Jesus. This speaks of who he is. That he is holy. He is almighty. Notice he ends with that. I'm the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come. I am almighty. Jesus is almighty God. And when he gives this revelation to John, remember John knew Jesus on earth. He saw Jesus. He was with Jesus for three years of his ministry. And yet John is going to see, and we're going to look at this next week, he sees a revelation of who Christ is and that Jesus is not just fully man, but he is fully God. He is to be respected and revered, and, and we're to fear him. We're to love him, but we also have to re have a respect for him. I watched a video of a lady, this is about two years ago, two or three years ago, and she was mocking Jesus. And just like that guy in, Tur in Turkey that was mocking Israel, she began to mock Jesus and she said, and, and she made fun of him and he, she said the name Jesus and all of a sudden she starts shaking and she falls over and she had some kind of stroke. There's still power in the name of Jesus. And his name carries not only power, but reverence. And you and I carry his name. He is holy. He is righteous. He is almighty God.
Look what he says about himself. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door of the sheep, John 10. What was the word I am in the Old Testament? That was the word for God. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the true vine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Son is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So next week we're going to look at the peering, how he appears to John, but I wanted to end with that tonight. All those things, Jesus loves us as the church. He loves us. He's freed us through his blood. He has a plan and a purpose for us. We're blessed if we read this. What I suggest you do is start reading this. Do some, do some study on this. But read it. Be a good Berean. Don't just take pastor's word for it. Be a good Berean and, and study the Bible. Get some commentaries. They're called commentaries. You can look them up. You can get Bible apps, Blue Letter Bible. You can, you can get an app on your phone called Blue Letter Bible. And, uh, and I recommend you do that. And you can look up commentaries. But be good. Know that when you read this, when we go through this, you're blessed. Right? Do you believe God's word? So if it says you're blessed for reading it and hearing it and understanding it, then you're blessed. Amen? Let's close. Father, we first of all, we thank you for this little girl that gave her life to Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. You love her. She's in your kingdom. Lord, you said we can't even enter the kingdom of heaven unless we have faith like a child. And that's what she did tonight. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you that we're blessed because of your word. God, I pray as we study this that you will begin to reveal things to us. That you will give us understanding that we've never had before. That you'll give us a heart for this book. That, Lord, that it's true and it's going to come to pass and it's coming close and we're getting closer. God, prepare us. And, Lord, as we get ready to leave this church building tonight, Lord, we're entering into the mission field. We're entering into the harvest field. Lord, give us opportunities, divine appointments, to share the gospel with everybody that we run into. God, you love all people. Even the ones that are in sin. We're, Lord, we're all sinners before we come to you. And we still sin after we get saved. God, help us to know that you love everybody. And you want them to come to repentance. And so, Father, bless everybody here tonight as we've read these words. As it says, we're blessed if we hear it, read it, and understand it. And take it to heart. Father, we thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Well, we're going to look at the appearing next week. And what John sees. And then we're going to get into the, the churches. And I'm excited about the church. Can I share one thing? I want to give you a little. It's a teaser. You guys like teasers? One of the churches is called the Seat of Satan. And nine years before Hitler came to power, the Germans went down there and it was called the Seat of Zeus. It was, called, uh, uh, it was, a, a, it was an altar to Zeus and it's called the Seat of Satan. 
And they tore that down and they rebuilt it back in Germany. And nine years later, Hitler came to power. And I'm going to show you a picture of that. It's still there today in Germany. And it looks like a chair. And it was the altar of Zeus. And that's what Jesus calls the seed of Satan. So if you don't believe what the Bible says, you better take it to heart. Go, go do some study on it. So that, that's a teaser for you. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.